He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Good morning, church family and friends. If I were to ask you to describe Easter this morning, I know that you're the 830 service, you're nice and early, so I don't know how you're feeling right now, but if I were to ask you to describe Easter by use of punctuation marks only, what would you use to describe how you're feeling right now? Maybe this Easter is a comma for you. It makes you pause and think and listen, but that's about it. Maybe today is a downer, a big, bold period. For whatever reason, you're down today. I am so glad you're here. It was a period kind of day for Jesus' disciples. They had followed him. Everything was going so marvelously, and then he's dead. He's gone. He's in a grave. But wait, news of an empty tomb? Where is he? All of a sudden, that period becomes a question mark. An angel speaks, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and on the third day rise again? Why, no, they hadn't remembered. But now they do. He lives. And because he lives, we can live Two. The periods are gone. The question marks are removed. All that we have left is an exclamation point from here on out. In Christ Jesus, exclamation point. I'd like to welcome everyone here this morning, whichever punctuation mark you brought here this morning with you. The passage in the Bible we're looking at today is Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. Would you open your Bibles? with me if you have those. There may be a Bible on the rack in front of you as well. And if you need a bulletin, I have the sermon notes in them. Raise your hand. Mr. Rager is here. I call him Mr. Rager when he's got a tie on. (laughs) He'll put one in your hand. Open to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Dying to live. You've seen that statement around the church. Maybe you've seen it around the community as we've been handing out the invitation cards that say this, dying to live, and it may sound odd, but it is the most important news in the universe. Look at your notes, and you see an outline in two parts. Then the first one is death. What death is so important and so glorious? Point one is God's plan for Jesus' death. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, where we are right now, Jesus and his disciples are near finishing Jesus' three-year ministry on earth. They've been following him for three years, up to, almost three years up to this point. And he was going to go to Jerusalem one last time to go to his death on the cross. He says some things in this text that we must consider today. Verse 21 tells us, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed. And on the third day be raised. Now, nobody likes bad news. This was such bad, striking news. These guys up to this point had been riding high, following Jesus. The crowds were excited. They were excited for all this time. But Jesus keeps making statements like this that burst their bubble. Why does Jesus keep talking about suffering and death? 
Jesus was teaching his disciples the, the deeper and more difficult truths of the gospel, his plan, that he must do these things. It was absolute necessity that he do these things. He says four things that he must do here. Let's look at each of those separately. First, he must go to Jerusalem. See, Jesus had preached and been healing people all over Israel and the surrounding areas, but he had not chosen, had he not chosen the road to Jerusalem this one final time, he could not have died and on the cross and paid the price that we all deserve for all of our sin. And so he must go to Jerusalem. He must become the final Passover lamb. That's where the city where all the sacrifices were made to atone for sin. He had to go there. Hebrews 7.27 says he's offered sacrifices once for all of us when he offered himself up. He must go to Jerusalem. Second, he must suffer many things. The chief priests and religious leaders have hated him all along, and now he's going right into their epicenter. And he knows he's going to face suffering of all kinds. Beatings, arrests, trials, mocking, humiliation. All the way, ultimately, number three, he must be killed on the cross. Yes, the best news in the world involves a cross. The people of that day were all too familiar with the cross, the Roman cross. It was the sophisticatingly perfected, uh, torturous death that the Romans had devised in order to maximize the suffering and leave the victim alive in that suffering for the longest amount of time. Thousands of Roman crucifixions were done in Jesus' time, so bodies hung on the sides of the roads or up in the hills. Everybody was familiar with that. The Gospel of John says, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. This was part of the mocking. The purple robe was a picture of royalty. They came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands pressed the crown of thorns and dressed him in this robe. Why must King Jesus die on a cross? Why? Because he wanted to save us from our sin and from eternal hell. Know this, friends. Our sin, human sin, requires death. Even just one sin before a holy God, the righteous penalty for one sin is death and eternal death because of the eternity that it's offending. The Bible teaches this? Yes. Consider these verses, Romans 3.10. There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To save any of us, the Messiah, King Jesus, had to give his life, and he proclaims this, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He must do these things, and he does them for us. But in this moment, Peter and the other disciples couldn't take it. 
This is not what they expected. They could not take it. Peter had to object to rebuke Jesus. Look at verse 22. Peter, this is not what he expected. He took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Whoa, Peter, you're disagreeing and rebuking God here. But don't we all do the same thing? I mean, have you ever complained? Saying, when you get to the point where you say, God, I don't approve, I don't accept, why me? Why this? We're doing the same thing. We think we know better than God. And Peter thought he knew better. How did Jesus reply? Verse 23. But he turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Well, that got their attention. That must have shaken Peter for Jesus to call him the mouthpiece of Satan. You see, back at the outset of Jesus' public ministry, right after he was baptized, that kicked off his public ministry. The first thing that he did was go into the desert and fast and then to be tempted by Satan. And remember, if you know the story, Satan used scripture and tempted him three times. And he essentially said to Jesus what he says to us all the time. What he told Jesus is, if you follow me, you won't have to do all this ministry, and you won't have to suffer, and you won't have to die. Follow me, and you can be your own God. You can do what you want. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to have authority over you. This is what Satan said all along. And if Jesus had yielded to that temptation at that point or at any time, during his life, his ministry on earth, anytime, he would not have been the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. He would not have been able to go to the cross for our sin and rise from the dead to conquer sin and death and give us life. So Peter was saying what Satan wants us to say. My way is better than your way, God. My way is better than the cross. Well, after Jesus died on the cross, Satan tried to keep him dead but the grave had no power over him. This is Easter. This is the resurrection Sunday. See, to go back to verse 21, our first verse, and, and, and say, but wait, there was a fourth thing that Jesus said he must do that Peter's and, Peter and his disciples must not have heard. They were so torn up about the suffering and death, they didn't hear the last thing Jesus said he must do. Did you catch it? Let's look at the verse again, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is what made all the other things bearable, but they missed it somehow, and that's demonstrated by Peter's response in verse 22. He's like, no, this will never happen to you. They did not grasp the concept of resurrection yet, but they will. Let's read about when they finally did one of the glorious resurrection texts from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, 1 through 8. Here's how it went down just weeks later. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. They had, the ladies had, had made spices to, for Jesus' dead body. But when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. They remembered. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He had suffered many things. He died on the cross as a final Passover lamb for all sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead in order to give us life. Jesus' resurrection changed everything in this world, everything in our lives. Jesus' resurrection proved that he was the son of God. Jesus' resurrection proved that he was the fulfillment of all the covenants God had made with humans, with the human race. Jesus' resurrection is the basis for our future hope and our eternity in heaven. Jesus' resurrection is the source of power in our daily lives to live here and now. Jesus' resurrection changes us. It gives us courage in the face of persecution. It gives us comfort in the suffering and hope in all of this world's darkness. Jesus' resurrection is the power that cancels our past. It's been dead, crucified, and buried, our past, and redeems our future. This is good news, friends. This is hope. Resurrection, Jesus, means that we live today and, can, and will live in eternity in heaven for all who believe but since there are so many false teachings and false concepts of Jesus, lacks of understanding, or just wolves in sheep's clothing, twisting and distortions of the gospel, those things that don't save anyone, they're not the truth and they don't save anyone, so Jesus kept teaching his disciples, you've got to know what real faith is, and real faith in Jesus, real saving faith, is a repentance and a turning and coming alive in Jesus, and it's demonstrated by a lifetime of following him. And now we get to the fulfillment of point one. God's plan for Jesus' death is point two. It is his plan for you to live. Same plan. His plan for Jesus' death and resurrection is the plan for you to live. Hear this. Hear Jesus' intense and important words in these next verses, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Hear these words, what Jesus calls, what he demands for your life. Richard Wormbrand, in his book, Tortured for Christ, tells a true story that took place during the communist takeover of Romania in the 1940s. When Christians came under heavy persecution from the communists, during one weeknight service, two communist soldiers barged into a church building with guns in hand, and they announced in the church service, if you are willing to deny Jesus, you can leave now. 
If you stay, we will kill you. Think about it. This is a true story. As it goes, a few got up and left, but the rest stayed. The soldiers then proceeded to lock the doors so no one else could come or go. Then they put down their guns and said to the shocked congregants, Praise God, we are Christians too, but we dare not worship with anyone who is not willing to die for Jesus. Jesus is concerned for your real faith because nothing else will save. Not a shallow and emotional response that sounds good, but a real 100% true soul-saving faith in him. Hear his words again, verse 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, the instrument of death. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The answer to everything our lives and souls need, everything is found in Jesus, in his resurrection. In this title of today's message, Dying to Live. There it is. Jesus' great paradox of gaining by losing. Gaining through self-denial. Glory by bearing a cross, a shameful execution. Here's the truth he's teaching. Live for yourself and you will die. Die to yourself and you will live. What does that look like as people do that? I mean, a lot of our lives, a lot of your lives are filled with the testimony of this. Here's one testimony, one story. When you deny self, here's an example of what it looks like. The story of Domingo and Irene Garcia. Maybe you've heard this. Domingo and Irene are in their late 50s. He's a mechanic, and she's a hairdresser. They have been foster parents to 32 children and have adopted 16 children. Let's think about those numbers. That's the Holy Spirit's power right there. While other people are figuring out how to live more comfortably, Domingo and Irene can't help but think of the 500,000 children in our country that need parents. They're very open about the hardships they face daily, but how God has provided for them over and over again. They live such extraordinary lives that even CBS News ran a special on them, and they published a book. See, even the, the secular world noticed the supernatural love that, that these two have shown to those in need. Now, that's an amazing story, but for those who might think that Domingo and Irene have always been like that, Here's the truth about their past, and they tell this openly. Irene, in the early days of their marriage, hated Domingo. He was abusive, and she prayed regularly that he would die. She remembers daydreaming about him driving off a cliff because of the pain he inflicted on her. And now, now she calls him the godliest man that, he, that, that she knows. What happened? What happened? Matthew 16, 24 happened. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's life in Jesus and life in his spirit. Domingo and Irene died to themselves once and for all when they repented of their sin and self-sufficiency and trusted Jesus for their sake as, as, 
their Savior for their sins. And so if anyone thinks that life is hopeless in any way, or the struggle is too much, or that you're tired of trying to be your own Savior, remember Domingo and Irene, and that God loves to transform anyone who humbles themselves and comes to him. He'll bring your life back around to what he's creating in it. Verses 26 and 27 again. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, whatever you're pursuing, and forfeits his soul? That's nothing. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It looks like this in our lives. Friends, brothers and sisters, this is what I encourage you to to do right now to die to self, to take up our cross. It looks like this. It's a prayer that says, God, kill me. Kill Reg Overstreet. Because my natural self, Reg Overstreet's natural self, only wants what's best for him. Doesn't care about anybody else. His natural self only wants to pursue every kind of pleasure. That's what he wants all the time, pleasure all the time, instead of finding my pleasure in Jesus. His natural self hurts people and is discouraged and down and hopeless. Kill this miserable natural person. We need, God, we need you to kill Reg Overstreet. So your Holy Spirit enters me and gives me a supernatural self. And that's exactly what happens in the moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior for real. Let me ask you a question that only you can answer. No one else can answer this for you. I'm talking to each and every one of you. If you were to die on your way home in a car accident and go to heaven and stand before God, stand before the gates of heaven, and he was to ask you, why should I let you in here for eternity? There's only one answer that will do. If you answer because of what Jesus did on the cross, he took my sin, he rose from the grave to conquer my sin and death, That's why I can come in. He'll say, come on in. If there's any other answer, oh, I've been a good person. I haven't hurt people too bad. If there's any other answer, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And you'll be cast into the pit of hell for eternity. Let me ask you, what would you say? You can change this right now and you can make sure This is your biggest decision, and it's one that you must make. Nobody else can make it for you, not your parents, not your heritage. Maybe you've grown up in the church, but you've never made this decision. I'm going to ask you to to consider if that's you. Do you know that you know for sure that you have done this and that Jesus has brought you to life? Let's make sure right now. Would everybody bow your heads and close your eyes? Go ahead, right there, just close your eyes. You cannot count on your good works to get you into heaven. It takes repenting and accepting Jesus' perfect works to receive his salvation. The reason we have Easter at all is because we needed a Savior who died for us and rose from the dead. And guess what? We have one. So if you aren't certain of your eternal security today, you can make sure right now. If you're ready to pray that prayer right now, pray something like this. I'm going to guide you through this. And you can do this right now and live for eternity. This is amazing. And have spiritual life right now. 
pray this. Pray, Jesus, I believe. I believe, I've come to the point, I believe that you died and rose from the dead to pay for my sin. And I receive your free gift of eternal forgiveness and the new life and eternal life that you purchased for me. I die to myself as you have commanded. I turn and come to you. Make me live today. If you have prayed this prayer, whether today, if you've confessed these things and and prayed this prayer, whether just today or sometime in your past, and you know for sure you are saved for eternity, no one can take that away from you. You can look up again, and I want you to look at the cross, the empty cross, the work that Jesus did on the cross and in the grave is what seals your eternity forever and what brings you to real spiritual life. That power is still the power that's at work today. Amen? Hallelujah. I'd like to call the choir to come, and we are going to do something special, all of us today. We're not just going to sit and just absorb somebody else talking. I'm going to have you do something. There's something amazing about taking up a cross. Jesus used these things to really get us to respond. There's something amazing about writing that down. And so we're going to write that down. We're going to write down what we're choosing to do today. And I'm just going to guide you here. Here's what we're going to do. You've seen the whiteboards on the walls. Those are there for us in these three services to fill up. There's markers laid out for you. We're going to write what we're committing to die to today. And we're going to keep these whiteboards as a memorial. Listen to these instructions. If you have prayed for your salvation today, you simply write, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. You write that. You don't need to write your name down on that. Nobody needs to write their name down. We will love to see those if there's those that are written on the board. Now, to everyone else, if you're already a believer, you do need to die to things. Nobody's, let me, let me just check. Is anybody perfect like Jesus was perfect? Okay, nobody. We know that full well. You do need to die to certain things in your life that are keeping you from a closer and perfect walk. To do, what is it? What's hindering you in, in a perfect walk with Jesus right now? This is an opportunity. This is Easter. Whatever you're struggling with it, to, to crucify it, to say, God, kill this. I'm going to give it to you right now. It could be, what is it that's keeping you from Jesus' likeness? Is it anger? Is that, is that what it is? Is it internet use? Maybe too much or the wrong kind. Maybe porn. Maybe video games is, too, is keeping you too much. Prescription or illegal drugs or alcohol. Sexual sins of any kind. Maybe it's an emotional affair that you're starting to drift from your spouse. Maybe it's mistreating your spouse or, or kids or parents. Gender confusion, maybe you're going through that and, and want to get that straight with God. Biases or prejudices of any unholy kind. Jealousy, maybe that's tearing you up. Or feeling left out or disappointed. Or fear. Fear is big right now. We can kill it. Anxiety, depression, you can rest in the arms of Jesus. Come what may. He said, put it on the cross. I'll take it from you. Let's do that right now. What you just need to do is write that thing. You don't need to write your name either. You can write I died to or just, just the object. You can use code if you want. But I think there's a power in writing it down and owning it and giving it to Jesus and letting him take it from you. Die to this so you can live. I'm going to come down here. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to ask everybody to stand up, and there's lots of markers, right? Uh, come forward and write what it is on the board and return to your seats back through the middle aisle. Uh, maybe we can start with the front half of the room and then the back half can, can file. If, you, if today's the day of your salvation, I have a cross here that says, on April 17th, 2022, I died to live. And I want to give you this cross if you either make a first-time commitment to salvation. That way you'll always know this is the day that I became spiritually alive not dead any longer. You take this and anytime the devil tries to sneak an attack or you're feeling down or maybe unsure, you hold this. Keep that with you. Show it to people. I'd love to give that to you today. I have several of them here. And even if maybe you've been a believer but you've, you've admittedly been far away from Jesus, but today I'm turning around 100% pedal to the metal for Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. Would you take one of these two? All right, go ahead and write the thing down as a memorial as an act of sacrificial worship to become alive and freed from this thing.